At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. All right, what's up, guys? Five minutes to be a better tech. That is the whole goal of this podcast and how we go about doing that. So I have Matt Waxer, who's been on the podcast many times, and I've also got Ilya Martinovich, who is gracing our presence for the first time. So we're going to talk about ways we can be better and just taking that extra five minutes, minute or two, or maybe even nine or ten minutes, depending on what it is, just to be better all-around technicians. Let's get to it, guys. This is the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and as I've said before, the Coleman brand looks like a sweet line for the residential applications, the furnaces, the ACs. I actually signed up just recently to be a dealer of the Coleman brand to kickstart the McCready HVAC and refrigeration services for some of the residential customers I may encounter. Obviously, that will expand at some point, but the Coleman brand looks very cool right now. So check it out. Check out master.ca. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Gentlemen, what's happening tonight? How are you guys doing? Matt, how, how are you doing? What's happening, Gary? Not much, Gary. Thanks for having us. Oh, no problem. Matt's been on the podcast a couple of times. He was uh, actually, Matt has had the pleasure of being on with Trevor Matthews and. Uh, yeah, with Ken Goodridge. Yeah. Also, our uh, good buddy out in uh, the New York area, Mike Clark. Oh, yeah. You were on for that one, too. Yeah, Mike was an awesome one to chat with. Yeah, definitely. I, I can't believe that Ken Goodrich was actually on this podcast. That was, I got to give that, I got to give props to my friend Stephen Gurley for setting that one up. He's out in Arizona and, and I think he does a little bit of marketing with Gettle. And he's like, you want Ken to be on your podcast? And I'm like, damn right. So <laughs> that was an awesome one. So, well, Ilya. Yes, sir. This is the first time you've graced our presence on the podcast. So I want to give you a little bit of the floor to introduce yourself, man. All right, my name is Ilya Martinovich. I work for a manufacturer called Engineered Air. And on May 4th of this year will be 24 years that I've been there. Done it all, heating, cooling, air conditioning, the whole nine yards. Wow, 24 years. That's a massive commitment. So you do mainly like startups and warranty repairs and stuff because we talked a a bit last week about it? Yeah, so uh, basically installing contractor installs the equipment up on the roof and I head up there and meet him and turn on the gas, turn on the equipment, make sure everything is working properly and go over with fine tooth combs. So they have years and years of uh, good equipment working. Awesome. Okay. So on this episode, we're going to talk about something that I hold true to my, my heart is the five minutes to be a better tech rule. I mean, I'm guilty. I got to say I'm guilty of not following it every single time I'm out there. But I try to every time that I get that phrase in my head, I try to do these little extra things to 
just be better. And it, all it takes is five minutes. And I'll give you guys sort of the background of where that came from. It was in refrigeration class in advance, refrigeration at, um, at George Brown College. And the instructor, Keith Newton, that was one of the things he had said probably, I don't know, five to 10 times during the two months we were there. And all he meant was, hey, listen, guys, take some extra time at the end of your job or the, the end of a, a task and just make sure things are done correctly or to the best of your ability. Like make sure all the screws are in panels, make sure all the disconnects are on. I'll give you uh, an example of a couple of guys. I might've told this story on the podcast before. A couple of guys were working on a, a rooftop unit in a strip mall, a couple of former coworkers of mine. And I was always taught to take panels off and lay them flat on the ground when you're on a roof because you could get a bit of wind. It could, you know what I mean? It could catch the panel and it can go flying. Well, they went out for lunch and they left the panel on the rooftop. And when they came back, the panel, the corn, it, it did like a frisbee thing off the roof and landed in someone's car, the corner of it, right in the hood of the car. Crazy. So, I mean, it's just one of those things. Like if you if you're going away off the roof, I mean, flat on the ground would be, I guess, worst case properly if you're going off the roof back onto the the machine with a couple of screws and holding in place. So just just little things. Matt, what do you think? Yeah. Uh like for the equipment that uh, I commission and that Ilya commissions, our equipment, they're on hinges. They're hinged doors. So you know, your point stands very well, Gary, that you know for packaged rooftop units where it's a panel that actually is removed from the piece of equipment, lay it down on the roof. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say for the stuff that Ilya and I work on and that we represent as commissioning technicians, for the doors that are uh, on hinges, make sure that there is a door stop in place so that the wind doesn't come grab it and rip the door right off its hinges. We've seen that multiple times in, in our adventures on sites together and on sites independently. We actually commissioned, well, Ilya commissioned. I was merely part of the installing contractor crew on a facility out in our neck of the woods. And you know, we've had issues out on that site with doors getting uh, thrown in the wind and having to uh, re-hinge them. And rehinge them, put these screws in, stuff exactly. like that. And, and you get the question, well, why is that screw coming out? Or why is it broken? Someone left the door open, right? Do these doors, when you open the doors to work on them, is there anything nowadays that kind of holds the door in place instead of in, in, instead of putting your tool bag on the one side to stop it from slapping around in the wind? If you ordered it with door stops, you get door <laughs> stops. If you didn't order it with door stops, you don't get door stops. <laughs> That's the bottom line. But there's an older engineered air that 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 I've worked on for many many years because it's probably the only one. And and I've told you some things I've had to do to it, Elia. But I remember one time working up there, and the th it was windy, and the door just kept slapping slapping me on the back of the ass like over and over and over. I was it was one of the most frustrating days I had in the trade because it was freezing out, it was windy, and I had to spend all day on the roof sitting on like or, or crouching down or sitting on the gas line that was close to it or if i had to bend over this <laughs> door was whacking me on the ass man and it was just it, it was it was a terrible day but door stops are yeah tech's best friend i would say in a windy yeah. situation for sure bungee cords work pretty good if you have to use them as well right so absolutely yeah. bungee cords ropes or even uh just extra spool of wire that's on the roof to hold it back in place prevent it from going anywhere yeah yeah. Yeah. No kidding. So, I mean, 
that's kind of panels, like make sure our panels are on properly because those that's a massive thing. Like if a panel falls off, especially if it's like a return or supply air panel, that could cause some issues. You're going to be sucking in cold air on the return and or warm air on the return and just killing the any conditioning you're doing to that space. So Ilya, in your travels, your 24 years at Engineered Air, you must have some tips and tricks that you use to just prevent service calls at the end of a day or the end of a job. Like, do, do you have some some thoughts or some tricks you can give us? Well, well, okay. So when it comes, when I do a commissioning, I, I start right from the beginning and Matt can attest to it. I'll, first thing I'll do is I'll check every single set screw, electrical set screw that I can get a screwdriver on, make sure all those wires are nice and tight, right? I'll go through all the blowers. I'll check the, the set screws on the blowers, the bearings, make sure that's all nice and tight. So I cover that. And when I'm done with the section, I put the panel on or I close the door so I know I'm done with that section. Right? So I, I'm pretty rigorous. I'll start one place and I'll work my way around the unit and get back to the beginning. Then it's just a matter of, you know, step by step, you know, turn it on, check this, check this, check this. And I do step by step. If, if I don't go to the next step if, if the first one's not working, right, obviously. So I'll go step by step. And then by the time I'm done, I'll do a another check where, you know, are all my pressure taps on my manifold on? Are all my screws in? Is my high limit set to the right spot? You know, and I'll just go backwards and say, that's on, that's on, that's on, that's on, that's on. And that's in its work for me. I don't get any callbacks and say, hey, the doors come off or we smell a gas or something like that. You know, I, I don't do anything during the day that's going to keep me up at night. Yeah, that's a good approach to it. Anything sketchy, you stay away from, right? And uh, I mean... But I was gonna, I was gonna say something there, and I and I totally lost my thought. Well, you lose that thought. I I I'd back up on Ilya's startup procedure, and it, I know it's something that Ilya does, and it's something that I do when first coming up to a new appliance to start it up. First thing that I saw Ilya do the time I was working with him, and it's something that I do as well. Is first you're going to walk around the entire unit, and you're going to do an overview of the entire unit. Make sure you can visualize any shipping damage, if there is any, because those are things you got to hit right off the bat before you even turn on anything, before you even start doing your electrical pre-checks. Make sure that there's no you know, installation damage, no shipping damage, because that's got to get noted and documented first. And once we cross that off our list, as Ilya appropriately pointed out, you know, we're going to go through every single electrical connection in the units that we're commissioning. So, you know, Ilya pointed out properly, you know, he's going through with a screwdriver, torquing down every single connection in the units that I'm commissioning. Uh, they also use a bunch of stakeons. And what I've been finding recently is that during shipping, the stakeons are actually opening up. So when you give a light tug on the stakeon, it actually just pops right off of the terminal. So checking stakeons as well has become part of my commissioning procedure pulling them off and actually tightening them back down and relanding them and making sure they won't pull off due to any potential vibration in the unit. When you say opening up, you're talking about the part that stabs onto the, to the yeah, actual so connection. If it's, okay. if it's a female connector, um, you know how they kind of mm -hmm. curve over top? So yep. those curves actually will open up and That's won't right, land yeah. properly on the male blade. So that that, that actually produces an opportunity for small little arcing to occur as vibration occurs within the unit if that connection isn't properly tight. 
And what are you using to fix it? Are you just using like a set of needle nose or, or just, just anything to pinch it back down? Needle nose, linesman pliers. Uh, well, okay. checking how it was actually terminated within the Stacon. If it's terminated very poorly, I'm going to replace it. Uh, however, yeah, if okay. it's terminated yeah, it okay sense. and it's just the actual connector that's a little loose, you just crimp it back down with a set of needle nose or linesman pliers, reland it, and make sure that the connection's nice and tight and snug. Yeah, going back to something that Matt said, even getting onto the job site for the first time, I've I've actually done this for a while. I won't even bring my tools up to the roof or anything up to the roof until I've done like a walkthrough on the roof to make sure everything is safe. So going back to Matt, Matt and I walked through it and we found the gas lines undersized, right? So we would go and make sure even up the, everything is up to gas code. So the gas line is the right size, enough supports. Where is the regulator vented? Are they have the shutoff valves in the right spot? So those are the small things. It, it's it's those small things that you're talking about being a better tech in five minutes that will save you a headache down the line. You know what I mean? So gas oh, size, 100%. yeah, we can we can ignore the gas line size, and on the coldest day in the winter, you're going to be tripping off on low temperatures. So Matt and I, when we we're up at that job site, we found that issue where the gas lines branched off. They they ran the lines too small. So it's small things. It's it, it's it's after 24 years, you you pick up all these things and you get into a routine when you're on the roof that that helps you out that helps you out for sure yeah and, and that i when i lost my train of thought i was going to ask you if do you have a, an actual checklist that you carry or is it all in your head it it's a really all in my head it's it's all these years that okay what am i going to do to make this job easier for me make it go smoothly and make sure the customer is going to be happy in the end so i will get onto the job site I'll meet whoever I'm supposed to meet. And first thing I'll start off, all right, let's see. Where's your breaker for the unit? Is it the right size? Do you have your gas pressure test pegs on? Okay, great. If it's an indoor unit in a mechanical room, where's your combustion air? Where's your ventilation air, right? Is it sized properly? So I'll do a whole routine. I'll check that all out first. Then I'll go to the unit and say, okay, is this all installed? Have they installed all the ship loose items or the remote wiring or stuff like that? Is that done? And if I find anything that's, going to keep me from starting the unit up safely, I won't start it up until they correct the issue. And to further your point on the gas pipe sizing, also refrigerant piping as well for split units. So you know, we got to make sure that the proper practices were followed during the installation before commissioning the appliance or then we're held legally responsible. And then the end user is left without an option to go after insurance if something goes wrong. So in doing our due diligence, not only on gas piping, but refrigerant piping, and just, you know, taking that time to walk around and check out exactly what's on site is key in the five minutes before you even start throwing the switch or even start turning a, a wrench or a screwdriver. Yeah, no, that's, it's, I, I follow the same thing when it comes to diagnosing pre-existing equipment that's already there. I, I do a visual, visual, uh, listen, touch some obviously you can't touch everything you're not going to touch like a uh sea vent uh boiler stack <laughs> you know what i mean burn <laughs> burn your hand but th there's a, there's certain aspects you can do with your senses you can even smell it's not often you're going to taste but i've had glycol slap me in the mouth uh, a few times it's got like a little bit of a sweet taste to it sweet and bitter yeah as, as long as it's the, the food grade stuff you should be okay to get a little splash in your mouth but yeah don't I mean, drink the pink kool-aid yeah, that's right. But I, I agree with you guys. Take the time, 
without tools and just use your eyeballs and just kind of visualize everything. And you're saying about gas piping, Yule. So are you going into your code book at that point and looking to see the size for the the amount that the equipment fires? Or do you just kind of know this stuff by now because you've been at it for so long with that equipment? Uh, it's a number of things. The first thing is, the first thing I look at is, uh, and I, I guess on the equipment that you work on, Matt, as well, is so say the manifold is a three-quarter inch size connection, right? If I've seen that they've run three-quarter inch, you know, 60 feet, I'm automatically going to start to question that because the rule of thumb is you bring the largest possible size gas line to the appliance and then reduce at the last moment, right, down to the manifold size, right? So if I've seen someone run three-quarter inch pipe and it's running 50, 60 feet, I'll get the code book out, right? I actually actually have a screenshot of it on my phone where I can say, okay, you know, this amount of BTUs, what should the pipe size be, right? So that's that's the way I do it. That's the way I do it. That's, no, that's that's actually... That's actually a good, like rules of thumbs. We've been talking about rules of thumbs in the podcast for about eight to nine months about how they'll get you in the ballpark, but they're not really there to, to get you to size something properly or whatever. And, and exactly what you said, it gets you in the ballpark to say, hey, why do I have 60 feet of three quarter inch, right? When I should just maybe only have a foot or two when I get up up to this point. So that's that's a good rule of thumb to get you in the ballpark. I like that one. Matt, do you use checklists or is it in your head as well? All right, quick break, guys. Time to pay the bills, as they say on radio. April Air has been helping me bring some education to the masses here on indoor air quality, like humidification, for example. We're going to be releasing a podcast very soon with Brett Phillips from April Air discussing humidification and dehumidification. So when we humidify a home in the wintertime, we want to focus on what style of humidifier we're throwing in, evaporative or steam. And each one comes with its own maintenance factors that you need to include and let the customer know because steam can be more expensive to maintain if you're using the throwaway cylinders, right? So steam is is also a better way to humidify a home. It's just what can the customer afford and what is their budget. Supco, guys. Supco has invented or they're using inventors. They've invented a program using inventors from the field, like technicians that invent tools and want to bring them to market but just don't have the means to do so. So you can partner up with Supco if you'd like to, and you bring that idea to life together if it's something you both want to do, if, if they agree and think it's a great tool. You do that. There's an email for that. It's ideas at supcotradefox.com. And the TradeFox brand is all about showcasing technicians and their inventions. Pretty cool. Navac. I'm going to say the batteryification. We've all talked about the electrification of equipment. The batteryification of tools, the vacuum pump, the tubing expander, the flaring tool. I can see a recovery machine coming next, to be honest. I don't know that. It's not that I don't have insider information. I just see that being one of the things that they're going to tackle next. So check out Navac because they're very innovative and they are making badass products. JB Warranties is a warranty program outside of the, the OEM warranty that might be 10 years or so or five years or or whatever it is on particular parts within equipment well jb warranties gives the peace of mind of warranty afterwards if the customer is looking for that service now they will do reimbursements on labor for the the business owner the shop owner so the techs can go out and still get paid and the business owner does not have to absorb that cost and they also do 
14 day turnaround times on claims, which is pretty quick. So you get paid fairly fast. The other thing we're going to talk about here quickly is company cam. There's a lot of emailing, texting, so on and so forth that goes back and forth within a company to keep things organized and shuffling through your phone to find all of that information sometimes can be a bit of a hassle. So company cam is there to put all of your images, videos, text overlays, voice memos, so on and so forth in one area. So whoever's involved in that job can just go in, click it, and they see everything time stamped, GPS stamped, and it's all right there. So anyway, guys, let's get back to Matt and Elia. It's pretty much all in the head. And we continually through different meetings with management and uh, the other mechanic where I work, we continually update it as we go. Because there's going to be one ball odd off situations where you encounter something that it takes time to figure out what is the right procedure to undertake in that circumstance. So you're going to have to modify your mental checklist and add it into something you need to do later and uh, add it to that. Oh, I saw this once down the road at this one site. Now I'm at a different site. Now I know what to do to get through this a bit faster. It took me that much time, took me that much more time initially because it was kind of an oddball situation, but it gets stayed in the stored in the mental bank to be used later down the road. But yeah, it's definitely similar to Ilya where it's a mental checklist. If we get to the point where we're really expanding and bringing in technicians that aren't really that familiar with the product line that our company represents and commissions, then maybe we'll sit down and actually write out a checklist of, hey, this is what you need to look at and go through during a commissioning just to get the people that aren't that commi- that familiar with the procedure kind of up to snuff and give them kind of, I don't know if you want to say training wheels, but give them a leg up for you know a kind of line of work that not everybody does in our industry. Because commissioning is kind of a, a bit of a different breed compared to just doing service itself. It's, it's true what you're saying, Matt. And I, it, it's funny that you say, oh, teaching the other people, right? I've been on a couple of job sites and, and I would point out, well, this is wrong. This is wrong. Your drip pocket's in the wrong spot. You need to shut up valve here. You need some more supports on your threaded fitting, so on and so forth. It's gotten to the point I've actually made friends. It's gone from people not liking me because I, you know, no one wants to be pointed out that they've done something wrong, right? So it's gone to the point where I've been to a couple of job sites with them and then before my next visit, they would actually send me a picture and say, hey, is there anything else you can see that I need to fix? Absolutely. And it's like, no, look, it looks good, right? It's a mental Rolodex. You know, it's, it's a Rolodex in your head of all the issues you've ever worked upon. And you just, okay, I remember seeing this. I remember seeing this. I remember seeing this. And you, and that's you look for that when you get up onto the roof, right? It's the same. Yep. It's the same. And our line of, of work, you know, we're going to see repeat install contractors and repeat install technicians. And the ones that, you know, take down our contact information for future jobs or for, you know, issues that may arise on the jobs that we've been on down the road are the ones that, you know, are vested and interested in getting their installation done properly so that the commissioning goes smoother and faster. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants to get the job done and get it done properly. And taking those little steps from an installation side to reach out to you know the person that they know will be commissioning the equipment makes our job go faster and smoother as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I've been, um, so I don't use physical checklists either. I'll admit that I, everything's in the head like you guys. But I was reading or listening rather to a book called, I believe it's called Checklist Manifesto, some, something along those lines. And it's, it's a bunch of stories, real life stories about a lot of them are medical. Some of them have to do with flying planes, how accidents would happen in an operating room or a plane would, would have some issues. And what they would do is what they would take that as a learning experience, create a checklist. So now every time before they operate, they go through like 10, 12 different things, this, that, this, that. And then the, the mistakes, like the percentage of the mistakes was minimized by so much by using checklists. So if it's in your head and, and you can remember it, that's awesome. I find as I get older and as I kind of try to put more eggs in, in more baskets, I, I start to lose a lot of memory. Like you guys were, were down at the show, the CMPX show. And, and when I was down there, I was constantly looking at name tags on, on around people's necks. Because without those name tags, I would have <laughs> I would have been lost. Because people that I've known for two three years come up to me, and I'm like looking at their name tag, and I'm like, yeah, what's up, man? Because there's so many faces, and, and and my mind was just scattered. So I'm finding that in the next five years or so, I think I'm gonna have to start implementing like organized checklists. You know what I mean? Just I just I just feel I feel that transition. It's it's not a bad thing. I mean, anything you put down on paper, you're gonna remember. You know, here's another example of what I do with the young techs that come up with us. And we all make jokes, you know, we all make these memes about an apprentice. Oh, you're going to have to do it on your own and all this nonsense, right? And, you know, they're scared and stuff. But if you want to be a, if you want them to succeed, you will teach them properly, right? And what I tell them is anytime you go to a job site with me or anybody else, you have a piece of paper with you, a notepad, and you write down what was the issue, what we did to resolve it, and that's it. And the next time you're going to, you're going to remember one, you've written it down, but you're going to go to a job site. And what's the first thing he's going to do is, well, you know what? I think I've seen that before somewhere. Right. And he'll th flip through his notepad and he'll be able to answer it himself. Right. Instead of calling me or Matt or someone up and say, Hey, I'm going to have this issue. What's going on? Well, we have you checked this. Have you checked this? Have you checked this? Right. And I think that's the, the one thing with our own checklist or text coming up is write stuff down, make a note of it. I mean, I have, in my desk, the, you know, the little pads of paper that you get from the wholesalers, I must have two dozen filled with just notes over the years, right? I don't go back to them anymore because now I can remember them. But when I was starting, I would always flip back to those and say, hey, what was that? What was that? What was that? And those are five minutes, what you're saying, that make better tech, right? Is write stuff down. If you're willing to learn and write stuff down and educate yourself, you'll be an amazing tech. And like what Trevor Matthews has been going on about uh, somewhat recently in his social media posts is putting that work after hours off the clock. Okay. You, yeah. you want to say five minutes to be a better tech? No, they're on site. There's little things you can do in five minutes to be a better tech. You want to be a better tech. You're going to be putting in the grind. You're going to be putting in the education after hours. You're going to be putting in the hours, reading manuals, reading code, reading manufacturer literature, just to put yourself in a position where you're competitive with the other people that are doing that, or you're going to be left in the wayside, unfortunately. That's just the nature of our industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, and with all the smartphones and everything we have now, how hard is it really to go punch in a serial number or a equipment number or a component that you've installed? And hey, how does this work, right? I mean, there's been many times I've had to put in new pieces of a components or, you know, revise a unit or something. And 
well, how does this work? It takes you two minutes to download it and read it. That's all and understand it. Yeah. But people don't want to do that, right? And that's what's going to make the difference between a better tech and just a regular guy. That's all. Absolutely. Yeah, for for, for sure. For and 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 the and something to take it, you brought up smartphones, and I don't do this enough because I'm just not used super used to it yet, is the QR codes on the uh, on the nameplates. Just I was today I was working on a York and I was having a humi- um, not a humidifier problem, uh, an economizer problem. And I was trying to figure out how to how to change the minimum position on it. And it, it's one of those simplicity boards. I don't know if you guys have any experience with them, but they're a bit of a pain in the butt at times to toggle through and read because everything's in short form and it's kind of moving across the screen really quick. So I took a picture of the nameplate because I was going to call tech support and just ask some questions because I was going to go sit in the van and warm up anyway. And I thought if I'm sitting here, I'll just call them up and ask them a few questions. But as I'm taking a picture, the QR code says go to website. So I click it and man, like a, a big page of references pop up, like install manuals, technicals, manuals, specs, like, I don't know, eight, nine different types of, of literature popped up. And I'm like, man, I got to start taking advantage of these QR codes on these machines a little more. Because sometimes you click them and, and it brings you right to YouTube videos. You know what I mean? There's, there's all kinds of information hiding behind that code that could give you a lot of insight into that machine. Absolutely. You see that with uh, Copeland compressors. If people don't have Copeland Mobile and they're not scanning their compressors, they better start. It's saved me on a couple of situations where I've been sent to replace components. And the first thing I did walking in was someone else had diagnosed faulty components on a piece of equipment and they, they sized the components incorrectly. No real fault of their own. It's, they went off the pictures they had. Potentially, they didn't have the time on the job to you know, take that extra five minutes to scan the compressor. You scan the QR code on the Copeland compressor, it'll tell you the size of the compressor and a lot more. Like, you, know, you dive into that, it's going to give you invaluable information. Your wine ohms, all that stuff. It's an amazing Absolutely. It's an amazing You take a little deeper it, dive. It I, I got to... Sorry, Gary. You take a little deeper dive. No, I was, I was, I was, I was just going to say real quick, hold that thought while you're talking about parts and how someone changed, put the wrong parts is I called the supplier once for a crankcase heater. I waited on hold. They called me back. They had to get the number for me. And I'm like, you know what? The next time I took a, a scan of the compressor and it, it found me the crankcase heater part number that goes with that compressor. So I just called up the supplier. I'm like, yeah, part number, blah, blah, blah. Do you got it? Yeah, I do. Okay. Come get it. It was like, I took the extra minute to scan the thing and it saved me time. Absolutely. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Matt, Matt, go on. Sorry, man. The one thing I wanted to throw in is even deeper diving into the Copeland mobile app, getting familiar and using the uh, compressor performance charts because that'll actually really give you a lot of valuable information once you have the appliance back up and running and you've, you know, say you're using smart probes. It's for me, it's, the way to go for actual service and diagnost- diagnostics on a unit. It's you're getting real-time information right up front, and, st- and you don't really have to calculate your superheat subcooling. It's right there in front of you, so long as you know where you're putting your probes. And taking that information and then putting it into a compressor performance chart to ensure that the system is performing properly, that you know you're getting your proper 
you know, mass flow rate that you can calculate off of all the numbers that you're collecting, your proper compression ratio, so on and so forth. Those are things that you take the five minutes more to make sure that in that instance, that compressor is performing properly. It's not just take your amp draw. Oh, it's below my RLA. My compressor must be fine. No, there's a bunch of other factors that you can take that extra time, see how the compressor is actually performing in that environment that you have it and that application you have it to make sure that it's running optimally. Because at the end of the day, if it isn't running optimally, you're going to shorten the lifespan of that compressor. You're going to shorten the lifespan of that appliance, and you're going to be back explaining to that end user why the piece of equipment failed because you didn't take that extra five minutes to do your due diligence. But you see, see what Matt, that what makes the you different and us different from everyone else is we will take those five minutes. Why? Because we enjoy it, right? You have to enjoy your job, right? If someone wants to just go in, pop in a new compressor and, oh, yeah, my amps are good, my pressures look good and not do the extra mile, that's not going to make them a good tech. You have to enjoy what you do, right? That's that's a big thing as well is am I going there because I have to or because I want to and I enjoy solving problems, making things work. You Absolutely. Know I mean? That's a big thing in making a better tech as well. Do right? I care about the end user? Do I care about them having the best possible experience with the products that we represent? Because if they're not having a good experience with engineered air or in my case, like Aon, Condair, Ceresco, they're not going to come back to those product lines at all. They're going to go to a competitor and say, you know, we had such a negative experience with this other product line. We're going to try you out. No, it's you do your due diligence. You do take that extra time to give them that positive experience with the uh, with the equipment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I always have a saying in my head, I hope I never see them again, but in a good way. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Like, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but I hope I never yeah. see them because I don't want to come back. I want to fix this once. That's it. Done. Right. And this is where, again, it comes back to your checklist, Gary, what you're saying. Okay. I've done this. Is there anything else that I can do? You know, this, 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 this. And man, I will, I will check it two, three times if I have to, just to make sure that it wasn't a fluke that it worked. Right. Run it over. Okay. It worked once. Okay. Great. Let it run for 10 or 15 minutes. Try again. Let's see if it's going to do it again or if I didn't nail it in the butt. Right. So it, it's one of those things. I, I, I don't like callbacks. I, I can't stand callbacks. Right. So yeah, I'm going to do everything possible that I'm on that roof one time. That's it. Done. Yeah. And, and I don't want to, I'm not going to name names or anything, but there's, there's a couple of instances one quite a while ago and one recently and, and I'll tell you it's just when I when I try to relay to other people especially online hey this is what I did to try to make sure everything was going to go smoothly like for instance I put out a little post I don't know this is going back quite a bit about checking a compressor before you put it in reading the nameplate making sure the voltage matches the phase matches making sure the pipes are in the right places the feet are are the same taking out your meter and actually doing uh, a test of the ohms before you put it in. Because what if you put it in and it dies? You're thinking now, wait, did it die because of something I did or was it dead already? Right? You don't know. So check these things. And someone said, I just throw it in, bro, and turn it on. I'm like, okay, whatever. You do you, man. But that obviously you're not caring about your job as much as you should because we're there's a lot of people online that are trying to give others tools to be successful in their job. And whether they want to, like you can bring a horse to water, the old phrase, but you can't make it drink. If they want to, if they don't want to drink, then you can't do anything about it. Most recently I put out, 
a post about a transformer that kept tripping the little breaker. There's been three texts to the call. I went once, but it was already working when I got there. It was weird. I don't understand. It was down, but when I got there, it was running. And I was, this was the third call. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to meg the individual wires going out to the different circuits this transformer feeds because I want to know if maybe there's a nicked wire going through one of the cabinets because megging it should show me that. It should show me an insulation fault somewhere. And then I checked all the loads, like the solenoids, the relay coils. And someone's like, hey, why did you do all that for a transformer? Because all I did in the end was change a transformer. I'm like, well, because I don't want callbacks. I I don't want to leave there and have it happen again. And I mean, I feel if you don't check the circuit after it's happened three times now fully, it's going to happen again. So I wanted to do my due diligence. And the guy was like, not giving me slack, but asking me why I spent so much time. And I tried to explain it to him. And I guess he understood at the end, but maybe he's got customers that don't want to pay for his time or something. And I, I get that part too. But it just, I find it funny when you try to give someone a tool, say, hey, let's be better. Let's spend the extra five minutes. And you're like, hey, I just I just do this and get it done type thing. Well, but, let's, I mean, let's go back to your compressor, Gary. You check your compressor compressor gets shipped to your shop, right? Is it easier to check it in your shop, home it out, make sure it's the right stuff on label or lug it all the way up onto the roof with a crane or whatever, and then realize that it's the wrong compressor? You know what I mean? It's like, that. that it's, it, it's five minutes. It's five minutes or you've wasted four hours getting it up onto the roof. But to take that even further, Ilya, you know, say a, a large enough compressor, you got to crane it to the roof. You've craned it to the roof. And you're the technician that just slaps it in. So you crane it to the roof, you connect all the piping, you do your evacuation, do your pressure test, do your evacuation, connect all the electrical, you turn the appliance on, DOA, doesn't work. You had spent the five minutes at your shop checking the compressor, making sure that your voltages, making sure that the voltage rating on the compressor is fine, making sure that everything ohms out okay, that the compressor is good to go you've now circumvented that lost day for a technician, if not more. I mean, going back to what we said at the beginning, how we check wires and pull on wires. I mean, how much hassle or trouble can a loose neutral give you somewhere? You know what I mean? Absolutely. A little bit of vibration it makes. A little bit of vibration it doesn't make, right? And, oh, I left the unit. It was working when I left, right? Now you have a problem. Now you're going back and you're chasing a loose wire. Man, it takes five minutes to check all those set screws and give them each a tug and see what's going on, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. So, I mean, there, we, we've talked about a bunch of stuff here, and we most most of it has been prelim stuff. Like, what about at the end of a job? Because we've talked about, like, checking wires before we started up, gas lines, refrigerant pipe, just the walk around in general, not using tools. So what about at the end of a job before we leave? I know, Ilya, you, you touched on putting all the panels back in the and, and all your gas plugs and whatnot. But is there anything, Matt, on your end that you need to do at the end before you walk away, like the last few checks before you'll get off a roof or off a site? One of the things that I've included in my procedure is before I'm leaving a site, I bring up the installing contractor or whoever my site contact is, and I do a final walk around with them and confirm the state that they want the appliance left in. Because some sites were sent out to commission, it's still a construction site. You cannot leave the unit running, or you're going to void warranty on it. Other other sites, you can, and they want it left running. So you're going to verify that with the installing contractor or the end user. 
and make sure they understand the state that you've left the commission appliance in, whether you have to leave it off or you can leave it on and in operation. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm sure you can attest to this as well, Matt. You leave that unit running during construction. Is anybody changing filters? Is anybody greasing bearings? You know what I mean? Is anybody doing this? And it will run like that for how long? Six, seven months with a complete filter blocked off, bearings not greased, and it's finally handed over to the end user. And it's like, hey, my bearing is gone. Or why are those filters all plugged up? Or you know, yeah, it's, Why is my DX <laughs> coil a solid block of cement from drywall dust? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... Yeah, it's those it's those small things that, you know, the beginning end and even in the middle, right? It's very easy to go say, turn the unit on. Did the fan come on? Yeah. Is it rotating the right way? Yeah. Is the heat on this? But have you actually gone and checked to see how is it supposed to operate? You understand how the unit works, but how is it supposed to operate as a whole with the building and everything like that? That's a whole other step, right? So Yeah, well, let's hit on gas heating a second like during the actual commissioning of a unit or during, say, a maintenance check. A lot of people will go through and check just manifold pressure. Oh, I've got my 3.5-inch water column, which is kind of standard in our neck of the woods for high fire. I'm good to go. Well, when you have modulating gas valves, like are you checking you know, your full range of modulation and what the manifold pressure is during that? Are you checking your actual inlet pressure while that's going on? Do you check what your inlet static is? Is that at or above the rating on the appliance? Do you check what the inlet pressure is when you're running at high fire? Does that drop below the minimal input for the appliance? Those are all things that I know Ilya does and that I do during commissioning. And I've had multiple sites recently where the static pressure to the appliance is fine. But as soon as you start firing up the unit in high fire, down goes the inlet pressure way below the minimum input. And you can't, you cannot leave the appliance running if leave the heating side running you have to shut that down and note it as a deficiency bring that back to the attention of the installing contractor and hey we either have a pipe sizing issue like the example that Ilya brought up earlier or you have an issue with a potential undersized gas meter or they size the regulators wrong for the appliance or the orifices in the regulators there's an issue somewhere on the installation side that needs to be resolved And bringing that up, it's a delicate matter with the actual installing contractor because no matter how good their install job looks, once you're seeing these issues, they need to be corrected to actually sign off on a proper commissioning of the unit. And that can be somewhat tricky at times. Very tricky sometimes. I want to I want to play devil's advocate for a minute on the whole startup and commissioning thing because you guys work for companies that that do that uh, specifically do startups do warranty work and stuff like that for a, a contractor that's doing like a re and re to stay competitive a lot of times they don't have the time like they'll have like six hours to land a rooftop and get the hell off the roof like to stay competitive that's you know what I mean their company might give them that like land that five-ton rooftop, pipe it in, wire it in, make sure the fans go on the right way, make sure it fires, and you're off the roof. So there's a lot of problems that happen afterwards. But because customers want the lowest price, because there's competition, because it's cutthroat, a lot of techs aren't left with the time to do things properly, which really, really bothers me. And I don't know how we solve this. Is this like a customer education thing? where we have to say, hey, listen, we'll quote you on landing the rooftop and then we'll quote you on a proper startup. But if something goes wrong after we leave and you don't, you don't pay for the proper startup, 
Like that's on it. Like who who can that be on? Right? Is the contractor supposed to eat eat their ass every every time they go out on a job because the customer doesn't want to pay for it? Like what do you guys think about that? I'll let Ilya tackle this one first. I've got a lot to say about this one. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, you you've covered a lot there. So I mean uh, anytime we say a customer say pulls a unit off an existing building and puts one on, I mean it's it, it's to me I look at it as the same as a brand new startup. So the customer, the guy installing contract that that's putting it on, he knows what he has to do. He's liable for it, right? And it's it's easy to pay. The big box on the roof is not working, right? That's the easy thing, Matt. You hear it all the time. The big box on the roof is not working, and then you go there and it's something external. That's ninety nine percent of the time. So what's the contractor supposed? He's he's got to. It's really again, Gary. You say it takes five minutes to 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 be a good tech, right? It does not take long to put your gas meters on or gauges on. Fire it up. You're firing it up anyway, right? Put the gauges on. Are you maintaining the pressures? If not, that's not the unit. That's what he's got to take care of, right? So again, yes, I, I I've never been on a site where they've dropped units on. I've never done an install, so I I can't imagine what the pressure they're under to get it started up and get going and this and that. But I mean, where there's a will, there's a way, right? And if they can't find the time to put their gauges on and check if they have the right gas pressure or they're over delivering on air to slow the fan down. That five minutes will turn into three or four return calls for them. Right. So it, it, Oh, I get it. Yeah. It, it's hard. It, 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 for me, I cannot go to a job site and not walk away being hundred percent confident that I've checked every single thing that I can on that piece of equipment. And that's, that's just me. But, man, you know you have to fire it up. You, maybe in some cases, you know, you're dropping another unit. You have to burn You have to burn the heat exchanger off, right, the oil off the heat exchanger. So you know that's got to happen, right? Put your gauges yep. on. But it's a simple mm-hmm. thing, right? To me, to me, it sounds simple. I've, I've never been on a site, but I don't know what to oh, tell it you. Oh, it, 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 it does sound simple. I'm just... I just know I get feedback from all over the map and I just know that's a thing. It's not enough time. Like if like there's things I'll do and post about and go, Oh, like you had time for that. You had time for that. I get four hours for my boss to do a compressor change. And and sometimes I'm like, well, listen, like try to fight back a little bit, like say, no, slow down. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it in that amount of time. Like I need more time to do it properly. I've for years now I've started to slow, slow down. And I've sort of educated the customer that things take time. So the customers that I maintain on a regular basis, they understand like, I'm not going to come there and spend two hours and leave and it's going to be fixed. No, I might spend the day there. Then I might come back the next day to verify some things. But over the course of time, that's going to save you in the long run. So I try to educate the customers in in that respect, right? But there's property managers out there they just have bean counters. They don't care. They just sign off on the lowest bid and, and that's it. They move on. But Matt, you said you had a lot of thoughts. So I'd like to hear them. Yeah. So we've all heard the saying of if you don't make time for proper maintenance, maintenance will make time for you. Please extend that to commissioning. If you don't make the time for proper commissioning, having it recommissioned, it's the same as maintenance. If you're not properly maintaining your equipment, it's going to break down. If it wasn't properly commissioned in the first place and you didn't put the value in a proper commissioning or the money aside for a proper commissioning of the equipment, sorry, it's going to break down. And like Ilya said appropriately, you're going to have three, four, five, six repeat calls going back to site where you're incurring more cost for the end user. 
put the expense up front to have it done right, yeah, you don't want to put that money in the budget. Well, sorry, you're, you're going to pay for it in the long run. It's you're going to have the total lowest cost of ownership if you put the money up front to have it done right in the first place. Do it right first and you're not going to have the issues down the line or you're going to have minimal issues down the line so long as it's also properly maintained. I, yeah, I think it's hard for me and Matt, I think, to speak on this just because that we get there after the fact, after everything's been installed, right? That's I think that's the hard part. But I know when I go onto a job site, they'll ask me, well, how long is this going to take? And as much as I want to tell them it's going to take as long as it takes, I'll give them a ballpark figure and I'll say, okay, I have this, this, this is what I have to do. If everything goes smoothly, three hours. If something goes south, I have no idea. You know what I mean? And I just and I just lay it out there and say, I can't give you a thing because I can't predict what's going to happen, right? I mean, all our equipment is tested and it's supposed you should any piece of equipment that goes on the roof, you should be able to just turn it on and let it run. Ideally, right? And if something's going to go wrong electrically, it will happen, you know, within the first 24 hours. Anything else is external, BMS, gas pressure. You know, I've been to many indoor installations where I'll walk in. I'm like, where's your combustion air? Well, we don't have any. We didn't know, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, you're not getting a startup, but we need this started. I go, I understand that, but you're not up to code. You need to be up to code. I'm not going to be responsible for killing someone, right? And when you kind of put it in that part into a safety-wise, they start to listen. They start to understand, okay, you know, what comes first, safety or getting this thing started and going, right? You also put it as, why would I jeopardize my livelihood just for the sake of getting this going? I I do want to get the appliance started up and going because everybody needs to get paid. And I want to see the installers get paid. I want to see the end user have a positive experience with the equipment. I want the commissioning people to get paid. I want us to get paid. I want the people who sold the equipment to get paid. But as Ilya appropriately points out, if there's any code violation in terms of our ethics and standards that we need to operate by, sorry, the equipment is not being started up. Final. End question. End statement and conversation until it's corrected sorry it's not getting started because we're liable yeah no it, it all comes back to the proper communication like you're saying and and an education and some some shop owners are pressing their text to, to get things done faster so they can make more money because they don't really care about the quality so we have that we have that part of it and we also have the customers that want to pay the cheapest price too so we really have to take this to stop using money as value and, and actually using value as value. It, to, to me, like it's, it's not always the cheapest price. And we just have to start pounding that into the customer's head. Sure, you want to you get that guy to do it for 40% less than, than what we can do it? Then go ahead. Let, let's see what the outcome is, right? And eventually, some of them learn. Some of them don't. Some of them have like slumlord property managers, their, their buildings are a, a, a mess, a giant mess. Compressors still on the roof from 10 years ago. And you know what I mean? Garbage everywhere and panels flying off. They just don't care because they don't want to spend I mean, the money. You also see like, on Instagram, you see uh, Aaron Bond now really starting to uh, talk about this in terms of the value that we bring to a customer and them needing to see the value. And us as mechanics and you know, contractors don't undervalue what we do. Okay, yeah, I get it. There, there's cutthroat 
aspects of our industry where, you know, the lowest bid's going to win to an end user for a certain clientele. And okay, yeah, there's a market for that, but do you want to be associated with that market just so that you can maintain work? Or do you want to uphold your ethics and standards and be able to work for the people that will actually pay you for what you're actually worth as a mechanic, what you're actually worth as a company? That's what we need to start really focusing on as well. That's well said, Matt. That's that's very well said. So, I mean, I'm going to give you guys the, the last thought on this and then we'll uh we'll call it for the night so elia five minutes to be a better tech we, we've pr- pretty much covered it but if there's anything else you want to throw in there i mean now's the time i actually was thinking about this for a while now i think there's just a few things you want to be a better tech be patient learn to educate yourself don't ever stop learning and take your time come up with a routine that Yes, you cannot be stringent to the routine where it has to be one, two, three, four, five. You always have to be able to add in one A, one B, one C, two, right? Take your time, educate yourself, be patient, and, you know, think about if this was your building or your unit, how would you want it being left for you? You know what I mean? Do you want it to work or you don't want it to work, right? And just put that in your head that, Okay, if this was me, how would I want it at the end, right? And just do your best and ask questions. Ask questions. It's it's not hard to do. I know people don't want to ask questions, but man, learn, educate yourself. Take your time and just just try. You know what I mean? Don't be scared. Don't be scared. I'm going to basically say Ilya just took every single word out of my mouth. I couldn't say it better, brother. Kudos. Absolutely nail on the head there for the small little input that I could add on to that, those words of wisdom and brilliance, tear apart components that you take out of appliances. That goes to Ilya's point of never stop learning. You rip apart a component, a defective component out of a system, you're going to learn how that thing works if you've never actually seen one of those before. Your TX about what you posted. Yeah, a little parts breakdown. And I think Trevor mentioned something about that or wanting to use it. We'll, we'll see where that goes. But yeah, the TXV that I, I tore apart and labeled all the parts. Did I learn something? Yep. Yeah. I, does somebody else? Hopefully. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yes. For, be for sure. Be proud. Be proud in what you do. Know that what you do matters. And don't be pressured to you know do stuff faster. Do it right and do it at your pace. Because being pressured to do it faster, you're going you're gonna to make mistakes. You're going to screw up. You're going to get hurt. Yeah, that's a big one. We all want to go home to our family at the end of the day. If you're being pressured to do something unsafely, go find another employer. There's way too many out there that need people because we are in a massive skilled trade shortage. You're going to find an employer that values you, that actually actually sees what you're worth. There was a great video I saw recently uh, on, I think it was TikTok, where a gentleman was talking about uh, his company and that there was a gentleman at another company that he wanted to hire. But he said, you know what, I, I don't poach guys from other companies. The guy that was at the other company called him up, said, I don't work for them anymore. You know, I was getting shorted hours. I wasn't valued. I was being pushed to do things I don't want to do. And, you know, can we open up a working relationship? He's like, yep, you're not working with them anymore. Absolutely. This guy comes aboard. The guy puts in so much work 
in six hours. He puts in a full day's worth of work in five, six hours. And he calls, says, I'm done the job. And his boss pays him for a full day. Even though he's only said done five or six hours, he pulls him, pays him the full eight hours. That's value. That's mm-hmm. the kind of employer you want to be working for. Of course it is. If you don't feel yeah. right doing it, don't do it. That's that's the safety. And, you know, if you don't feel right doing it, don't do it. That's the bottom line, right? Absolutely. Yeah. For a hundred percent. And and I want to, I want to just add on the thing that you said about taking parts apart. I I got that into my head early, early on by the, the first owner that owned the company that I work for. And he said like, man, just start taking things apart. He goes, you'll be smarter than everybody else before you know it. He goes, just take everything apart. So I started taking that to heart. I would literally take everything apart, like to, to a certain extent, I wasn't cutting every compressor open, but one time I took apart a relay and I actually fixed it. It was a relay. It was an after hours call. I had a little soldering iron in my van and and at our old shop back in the day, we had a guy that did electronics in the shop beside us. He shared like our space. So one day I I took something, I think it was an ignition module back to the shop and and my boss takes it and he, um, and he tins the, the, the process of tinning when you coat the wire with the solder and then you attach it to the board. He showed me how to do that. And then I, I pulled this relay apart and I fixed it. I, I, I soldered something back together internally and then put it back in and it worked just by taking the cover off. And the thing worked. It was like a blower relay or something or a, a Venter motor relay. And I'm like, wow, like that's cool. I took something apart and I fixed it internally. Like I repaired the actual part. And, and I thought that was... The, the, one of the super most this i was going to say the most superest coolest thing i did but sound like a kid when i talk like that but it, i thought it was one of the coolest things i ever did just by taking it apart and fixing it and and that all comes back to five minutes to be a better tech so that's how we started that's how we're going to absolutely add it, right, guys? perfect awesome thank you guys for your time tonight i appreciate it thank you for having us on gary thanks gary. thanks for hanging out with us guys that was a great chat I hope you guys learned some ways that you could be better on your jobs just by taking some extra cautionary measures and taking that extra few minutes here and there at the end of the job in between tasks so you can improve upon how well you you complete your your jobs and reduce callbacks. That's the main thing. We don't want callbacks. We want everything running properly, all panels back on, electrical tied up, neat, gas piping size right, refrigeration piping size right we got to look at all of this as a whole and just spending the extra few minutes here and there will ensure that the callbacks don't happen so that's it guys thank you Elia. thank you matt we're out happy hvacking and thank you to the master group once again hope you enjoyed the show follow hvac know it all on instagram facebook youtube tiktok twitter linkedin and anywhere else gary feels like popping up This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.